Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 129. Avi Ben-Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. And this is podcast episode 129 and a part 16 analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. In our previous analysis, podcast episode 128 and program series part 15, I walked you through events 12 through 14, events that I have identified as part of the overall events that shaped the last week of Yeshua's earthly ministry, resulting in his fifth day of the week crucifixion, or what we would refer to as a Thursday, and his seventh day resurrection. From the previous program, we came to learn about the following. Point number one, the arresting officers of the Judean High Court were spoken about based on John 18.12. Point two, the sons of Tzadok and their true authority in Israel, which was based on Ezekiel 44.15-16 and 44.23-24. Point number three, Yehuda's kiss of betrayal with Yeshua, based on Mark 14, 43 through 46, and Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12. And finally, point number four from our last study. This was about Yeshua and the overnight inquisition by Annas and his family, based on John 18, 19. With all this said, let's now continue with event number 14, which is where we left off last time, based on John 18, 13. Let's read this together. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, remember, according to the Roman calendar reckoning of the Jews or the Judeans, it was already the fourth day of the week. For them, it was Wednesday morning. It was the 13th day of the first Chodesh or first month of the year, according to Exodus 12, verse 2. But according to the high priestly calendar reckoning belonging to the sons of Tzadok, it is still late Tuesday night, the third day of the week, and the 14th of the first Hebrew month of the new year, also according to Exodus 12.2. As I follow the chronology, it appears to be about 0200 hours, or what we would call, according to our present-day Roman reckoning, 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 a.m. Wednesday morning. But again, for the sons of Sadok, it is still Tuesday night. And about 0200 hours, according to Roman reckoning, 
This is when the third unit of the Judean temple guard always replaced the previous guard that was on duty from 2,200 hours, or what we would say is 10 p.m., until 0,200 hours, or 2 o'clock in the morning. In the Garden of the Olive Presses on the Mount of Olives, also called the Mount of Anointment, Yeshua permitted himself to be arrested by a large company of priesthood officers and then was led away under guard and brought to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So it appears to me, at least on the surface, that Caiaphas was not initially present at the interrogation that was taking place under Annas in his own home. Recall that the Hebrew term Hamishcha refers to the Mount of Anointment. But due to the religious corruption of the time, Hamishcha, meaning anointment, came to be called Hamashchit, that is, corruption, which is a play on the Hebrew term for anointment, which you can see from places like 2 Kings 23.13. Furthermore, the word anointment in Hebrew, which is spelled mem shin chet, also means to pull, draw out, or lead something away, or perhaps someone away, to or towards an intended destination. This is the same wordplay that is used for Yeshua when he was led away to Annas following his arrest in the garden. So all this is Hebrew wordplay to identify Yeshua in his role of the coming Messiah, Ben-Joseph, spoken about in Isaiah 53. At the time of Yeshua's arrest in the garden, his disciples scattered, and an unidentified, quote, certain young man also ran away. But in the commotion, he left behind a garment referred to in Greek as his sindon, which was his special coat of distinction identified as belonging to a class of Jerusalem scholars, rulers, and temple priests of the high priestly class among the Jews. This certain young man was likely John Mark, as we later learn about him from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 12. Now, after Yeshua's arrest in the garden, he was handed over to a religious Jewish or Judean inquisition. However, his questioning was informal and was not meant to be an official court proceeding. It was more about a kind of informal discovery to determine his guilt in violating Jewish oral tradition and law. The actual legal courtroom drama could only happen later on that day of Wednesday after sunrise, which on the Judean calendar was Aviv or Nisan 13, one full day 
before the nation's observance of the annual Jewish Passover. This is referred to in John 13.1. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, this is referring to the national Jewish Passover of Thursday afternoon, when Yeshua knew that his hour had come. According to the story preserved by Gospel writer Luke, we get this narrative in Luke 22, 54. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him into the high priest's house, and that was the private residence of Annas. But Peter followed at a distance. This, of course, leads to the question, exactly who was the Judean high priest in that year of Yeshua's crucifixion? Well, according to the records that we have, it was Caiaphas, the son-in-law to Annas. This means that Caiaphas was essentially a puppet high priest operating under the unseated authority of his father-in-law, Annas. His given full name was Hananya ben Seth. Nonetheless, he was called by the shortened name Annas. Now, during the years of Yeshua's boyhood, Annas was an officially appointed Jerusalem temple high priest, that is, until the Roman authority decided to remove him and replace him in what we would call year 15, when Tiberius Caesar was co-regent with his father-in-law, Augustus Caesar. This Roman historical account is linked to Luke 3.1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilatus, being governor of Judea, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. During the early working years of Annas, long after he was unseated by Roman authority, he still managed to maintain a rather strong grip on all Jerusalem religious authority. But he was doing so illegally, even by Jewish law established by the authority of Jehovah given to Moses in Deuteronomy Devorim 17.9-10, as well as Ezekiel 44.15-16 and Ezekiel 44 23 through 24. Now, Annas was a very wealthy high priest at the time, and he had five sons as well as a son-in-law, Joseph Caiaphas, who also came to be very wealthy because he married into that wealthy priestly family. All were appointed to coveted temple positions, all the sons. This is the foundation to help us understand Yeshua's parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus or Eleazar, full of sores, 
who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Sheol, he lifted his eyes and saw Avraham afar off, and Eleazar in his bosom. He then cried out and said, Father Avraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. But Avraham said, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good, and likewise Eleazar bad or evil. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, Well, I beg you, Father, that you would please send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Avraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Avraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The reference to the rich man concerns Joseph Caiaphas, the son-in-law to Annas. The mentioned five brothers were the five sons of Annas, who were brothers-in-law through marriage to one of the daughters of Annas, and one of those daughters was the wife of Joseph Caiaphas. Now, we know about each of these personalities, including the family of Annas, because of what was penned about them in Jewish history. From the writings of Jewish historian Josephus, we learn about this Annas, who was the father-in-law to Caiaphas. We'll find this in the Antiquities of the Jews, written by Josephus. This is going to be in 20.9, sections 2 through 4, or simply section 205. But as for the high priest Annas, he increased in glory every day, and this to a great degree and he had obtained the favor and esteem of the citizens in a signal manner, for he was a great hoarder up of money. And I can pretty much guarantee you that Joseph Caiaphas was a great beneficiary to all of that family money. Also, we have this from the Babylonian Talmud, Tractate Pesachim, written centuries later from passed down oral traditions. What a plague is this family of Shimon Bothus, who, by the way, had a high priest appointment 
under King Herod, and he was of the family of the Bothusians. So the text goes on to say, Cursed be their lances. What a plague is the family of Annas. Cursed be their hissing of vipers. What a plague is the family of Catrus, that is, the family of Joseph Caiaphas. What a plague is the family of Ishmael ben Fabi. Cursed be their fists. They are high priests themselves. Their sons are treasurers. Their sons-in-law are captains. And their servants strike the people with staves which verifies the words of Josephus about the servants of the high priests. So this also appears to confirm John 18, 19-23, likely written by John Mark during Yeshua's overnight inquisition. John 18, 19-23, the high priest referring to Annas, then asked Yeshua about his disciples and his doctrine. Yeshua answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Judeans always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers, those are the servants in Greek, hyperites, meaning the attendants or servants of the high priest, who stood by, he struck Yeshua with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Yeshua answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Now, this recorded testimony, likely from John Mark, reads like something from the hand of a courtroom stenographer. The only person that could record this kind of detail would have to be John Mark himself. As I explained previously, he was an official priestly ruler, referred to in Greek as an archon, and he was also called an official attendant, or in Greek, a hyperites, or servant to the high priest. So if John Mark were not there, then I would ask, who captured all the detail of Yeshua's overnight informal and all-day legal inquisition? I think John Mark captured all that detail because he was, in fact, there. And this was his testimony as to what he heard and wrote down because he probably was a high priestly court stenographer. And his sindon, or his special coat, that's the one that he left there at the garden when he ran away naked, I think that would definitely give him away. So given this, I think it implies that he knew everyone by name, and obviously many of the people knew him. But what is even more interesting is that John Mark appears as a secret believer in Yeshua. 
even if he came to believe much later on. And he likely did everything in his power to keep discreet about his belief in Yeshua. So this leads me to consider a thought about who struck Yeshua with the palm of his hand, as John 18.22 would tell us. And when he said these things, one of the officers, that is the Greek hyperites, meaning an attendant or servant to the high priest, he who stood by struck Yeshua with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? It is possible, though I can't actually say with absolute certainty, that it was John Mark himself. However, if John Mark, who was considered a ruler of the Judeans, if he was the one who struck Yeshua, why would he do it? One possible explanation is that John Mark became a bit nervous when Ananias asked Yeshua about his disciples and his doctrine. Remember, Yeshua responded by saying, Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So, when Yeshua answered that pointed question to Annas, it appears that Yeshua might have looked directly toward John Mark, as if to say to Annas, They know what I said. If perchance that did happen, it would make a lot of sense that John Mark would not want to give himself away and, I would say, to blow his cover. The Gospel of John tells us that many among the rulers were secret believers. This is shown to us in John 12.42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So I think becoming a bit nervous, he might have acted rather impulsively to give the impression to Annas that as his servant or his hyperites, that he was on the side of the temple priests. And so maybe in a hurried reaction, he slugged Yeshua with the palm of his hand and said, Do you answer the high priest like that? So I would think that this would have secured the protection of his identity, which is something that he was after anyway. Let's continue now and take a deep dive into the timeline that shapes the story of Peter's denials of Yeshua. I'm calling this events 15 through 19 which is all based on Luke 22, 54 through 62. Having arrested him, referring to Yeshua, they led and brought him into the high priest's house. That's referring to Annas. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. 
But he denied him and said, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You're also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this one also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. While he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. We'll come back to this after I take my quick break. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue now and take a deep dive into the timeline that shapes the story of Peter's denials of Yeshua. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him and said, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You're also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this one also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. While he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the master, referring to Yeshua, turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the master, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. So let's talk some about this event. About three to four hours had passed since the initial arrest of Yeshua in the garden on the Mount of Olives. I am estimating that it is nearing sunrise at about 0500 hours, or what we would say would be five o'clock in the morning. On the official Jewish or Judean calendar, it is approaching the morning hours of the fourth day of the week. That would be Wednesday, the 13th day of the month called Aviv or Nisan. It is one full day before the Judean National Passover on Thursday late afternoon. 
according to the sons of Tzedok reckoning of time, it is still the overnight of the Passover on Tuesday, the 14th of the first Hebrew Chodesh or month. And by our present day reckoning, we would say it is about 0500 at night, not in the morning, as the light of the fourth day of the week was approaching. That is, the approaching light of Wednesday morning. Then with sunrise, the date would then shift to the 15th of the first month, which we know is called the High Sabbath of the first day of matzah, or the High Sabbath of the first day of unleavened bread. And this is according to Exodus 12, 16 and Leviticus 23, 6 through 7. So at this point, Yeshua is now in the process of being transferred under temple guard from Annas to Caiaphas, the officially recognized high priest of Jerusalem. Right then, at that moment in time, Peter, or Kepha, is warming himself by an early morning fire in the high priestly courtyard, probably near what we would know today to be the Zion Gate of Jerusalem's old city. As the Wednesday morning sunrise began to approach, the priestly officials of Annas began to transfer Yeshua over to Caiaphas for the official start of a legal Sanhedrin high court trial. In the midst of Yeshua's transfer, he passes through the courtyard of Annas, and there, not too far from the early morning fire that was keeping everyone warm, including Peter, we read from Luke 22:59-60, another of the servants of Annas confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this one also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I don't know what you are saying. In the interval between Yeshua's informal overnight inquisition by Annas and his transfer over to Caiaphas for his legal Sanhedrin trial, we learn that a rooster crows, not once, but twice, which we will address in a moment. At this time, Peter denies Yeshua for the third time. In a moment of intensity, when the eyes of Peter and Yeshua met for a brief moment, we learn this from Luke 22, 61-62. And the master turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of Jehovah, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. The identity of that crowing rooster has confounded many over the centuries, but from Jewish and Roman perspectives, it is actually not difficult to understand. Recall three important points which take place during Yeshua's transfer from Annas to Caiaphas. 
Point A, the time is about 0500 hours, and that is nearing sunrise on what we would call Wednesday morning. Point B, the Roman fourth watch of the night is very close, leading to a change in overnight military guard duty. And point C, the Jewish third watch of the night is also very close, leading to the public call for the start of morning temple service. If you've ever toured Israel or you happen to live near a place where there is an Islamic mosque, you will know the Muslim tradition for the muazzin. That is a Muslim official of a mosque who calls out to summon the faithful to prayer from a minaret five times a day. During the early morning hours, just before sunrise, that call to prayer will for sure abruptly awaken you if you are not expecting it. This is the idea of what was called the rooster in the time of Yeshua. So let's put this back in its historical context in the days of Yeshua. For the Romans, the rooster was the military trumpeter announcing the change in overnight military guard duty. That change in guard duty came four times in a night. So the change in Roman military guard duty took place at 2100 hours, or what we would say is 9 o'clock in the evening, then again at 0 hundred hours, or 12 midnight, then again at 0 300 hours, and then again at 0 600 hours, or what we would call sunrise. However, for the Judeans, they too had the call of the rooster. This was called the Kriyat Hagever. It best translates to the call of the man, because they had a term for a man which was called a gever, and he would call out a get-up-and-get-to-work call to rise and begin the work for the day in the temple. Now, you can actually see some of this historically as it's written about in the Babylonian Talmud from Tractate Yoma 20b, Section 4. The Gemara asks, What is the meaning of the phrase Kriyat Hagever? Rob said, It is the call of the man. The priest appointed for this task proclaimed that it was time for the priests to report for service. Rabbi Shila said, It is the call of the rooster, which is also called Gever. In the Jerusalem temple service of Yeshua's day, the call of the man, or if you will, the call of the rooster, occurred just prior to the morning sunrise, just as the first rays of morning light were coming up over the eastern horizon, marking the end of the night and the beginning of a new day. So given this, we need to define that morning in Roman time reckoning begins at 
zero hundred hours, or what we would call midnight. And we all know that this is still acknowledged, as in many parts of the world even today, that morning begins at 12 midnight. Hence, it is common to speak of the overnight hours of a day as two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. You get the point. Now, let's compare the term morning as it applies in biblical Hebraic time. Morning reckoning begins with the arrival of the sunrise when the sun begins to come up on the eastern horizon. In Hebrew, this is called Boker. Just prior to Boker, or sunrise, as the first rays of light begin to illumine the eastern horizon, the term to use is Shachar. We could call this the break of day, first light, or dawn. This is the time just before the rising sun. But let's get back to this idea of morning in your Bible as it relates to biblical Hebrew time or the biblical reckoning of time. In Scripture, morning, or in Hebrew, boker, is always defined as the next day. For example, Judges 9.33, Numbers 22.41, 2 Samuel 23.4, 2 Kings 3.22, and even Exodus 16.21. So when you see references to the Hebrew term boker, or morning, you need to think physical sunrise. But when you see references to the Hebrew term shachar, think of morning light or the break of day or dawn, just before the rising sun. Given this understanding, let's look at Mark 15.1. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Yeshua, led him away, and delivered him or handed him over to Pilate or Pilatus. So here from the Greek, the term morning is the term early, early morning, perhaps equivalent to the word Shachar, that is, just before the rising sun. Now, we know from historical Roman records that government officials like Pontius Pilatus began their work when it was yet early, early in the morning, or if you will, at dawn or the first light. It is important to know this in relationship to the following statement from the Gospel of John. Let's look at John 19, 13 through 14. When Pilate, or Pilatus, therefore heard that saying, he brought Yeshua out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, 
and he said to the Judeans, Behold your king! Later, I will address this in greater detail to avoid errors in understanding the timing of Yeshua's inquisition in front of Pilate. It did not take place at the sixth hour, according to Judean reckoning, meaning at about 12 noon. No, it did not. Rather, it took place in front of Pilate at the sixth hour, according to Roman reckoning, meaning at about six o'clock in the morning. So Pilate got started really early in the morning, and so did all of the elders and the council members of the Judeans. They started their days very early in the morning. So if we put all of this together with all of the events unfolding in their local context, we will learn regarding Peter's third denial of Yeshua that the phrase, the rooster, is there to explain two different timestamps within the narratives that explain Peter's actions. The first statement about the rooster is given to us according to the Roman custom in the changeover of the Roman guard during the early morning hours at about 0300. The second statement about the rooster is given to us according to Jewish custom in the call of the temple guard, referred to as the Kriyat Hagever, generally happening at about 0500 hours or what we would call morning light or first light. Peter's first denial happened at about 0300 hours, corresponding to the Roman change of guard. Peter's second denial happened at about 0400 hours, but at that time there was no rooster call to be heard, which is why Nothing is mentioned about a rooster call in any of the gospel narratives in connection to Peter's second denial. In other words, the mention of Peter's second denial just kind of sits there all by itself with no reference to any rooster call. But then Luke 22.59 tells us that about an hour had passed after Peter's second denial of Yeshua. Well, this places Peter's third denial at the time of the call of the priestly Kriata Gever in the temple. That is, the call of the temple rooster or the call of the temple man who calls out to rise and prepare the priests for their temple work in Jerusalem. The priestly Kriata Gever was known to make his call at about 0500 hours, just as the first light or morning light was breaking over the eastern horizon. And this confirms what Yeshua said when he prophesied to Peter, saying in Mark 14.30, Assuredly, I say to you that today... Even this night, 
before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. By speaking the words today and linking it to the statement, even this night, this tells us that Yeshua was speaking with the terminology of the sons of Tzedok. You see, the Qumran family of Tzedok priests often used the term today in Hebrew, Hayom, in connection with a day that always begins with the shining morning light of the sun. In other words, the sons of Tzedok never started their day at night as the Judeans did. The sons of Tzedok reckoned the term today or Hayom as starting with morning light and then at sundown Today continues by leading into the nighttime portion of Hayom, where it remains so until the coming of the next morning light, which then announces the next new day at sunrise. So this is precisely how they understood time. But the Jews or Judeans, they always started their today or their Hayom, at night, leading into the coming light of sunrise into the next morning, which was never a new day. It was just part of the day that started at the previous sunset. But that's not the way the sons of Tzedok counted and reckoned time. And Yeshua was measuring time according to the sons of Tzedok. So in Mark 14.30, when Yeshua said, Today, even this night, he was using Tzedok priesthood terminology. At least that's what we're getting from Mark or John Mark, because he certainly understood that concept real well, which is why he recorded the statement for us in precisely this way. Peter's denials took place after the sunset of that day, but still during the nighttime portion of what the Tzedok priesthood called today. So when Yeshua said to Peter, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. This was meant as a Roman and a Judean time stamp in that narrative. This narrative gives us, essentially, a time frame for Peter's denials, a time frame that was deliberate and definite. Therefore, in summary, this is the time frame that I think we should understand. A. The first crow of the rooster was that of a Roman trumpeter soldier who was charged with announcing a change in overnight military guard duty at about 0300 hours. The next call of the Roman trumpeter rooster was not due to come until 0600 hours or sunrise, that is, about three hours later. The second crow of the rooster, that's a different story. That was the Jewish Kriyata Gever, or the call of the man. This was an expected call 
that generally took place around 0500 hours, meaning the call of the man or the call of the rooster took place with the coming of the morning first light or the break of day. So this tells me the proximity of time when Peter's third denial of Yeshua happened at about 0500 hours on what we would call early Wednesday morning by our reckoning today. And Yeshua's transfer from Annas to Caiaphas and Peter's subsequent eye-to-eye contact with Yeshua also came at about 0500 hours or thereabouts on what we would call early Wednesday morning, again according to our reckoning today. And this all makes perfect sense when it is linked to the start of the Sanhedrin legal trial of Yeshua under Caiaphas, which began with the morning sunrise at about 0600 hours, making that trial of Yeshua legal by oral Torah. Now, to better understand all of this, especially for you visual learners, I have built a graphic diagram of all these events and how they relate one to another. I've posted this diagram on my website under free resources and then podcast extras. So look for the document, The Rooster Crow and Peter's Denials of Yeshua. Again, The Rooster Crow and Peter's Denials of Yeshua. Take care, and y'all willing, I'll see you back here next time. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. Real Israel Talk Radio.